you're listening to the Davenport Junior Theater Podcast. Welcome back to the Junior Theater Podcast, where we explore the past, understand the present, and dream of the future. Today with me, I have Brett Batterson. Welcome to the show, Brett. Well, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, of course. Can you talk a little bit about who you are and what you do? (laughs) (laughs) I know that's a big question. Yeah, I'm Brett Batterson, and I'm currently the president and CEO of the Orpheum Theater Group in Memphis, Tennessee. Great. Um, And what years were you involved at DJT, and how did you get involved there? Um, I was involved in junior theater from, um, boy, I got to do the math, 1963 to 19, actually 1978 or Mm -hmm. 9, because I actually came back from college and did a show once. But, um, but I started taking a class when I was five years old oh, wow. um, because my brother was doing it, actually. My brother was the first, and then um, I wanted to do it. So, and then I did drop out for a year in um, uh, maybe seventh or eighth grade to play football mm-hmm. and, uh, and then came back. And Mary Nicewander always said I was the only, uh, only student that they ever had that dropped out to play sports and then came back. <laughs> I don't know if there's some uh, some great honor in that, but um, but yeah, so I was involved for about 15 years, because then when I was in college, I came back and designed a set for The Little Mermaid. Oh, awesome. So what types of programs did you do there? Did you do like the classes and the main stage and everything? Yeah, I did everything. I, I was on crew. I actually was a crew chief, um, drove the show wagon, and um, yeah, I did I was the first male Showtime pal. I think I yeah, did all. I think I did all I could do with the uh, Davenport Junior Theater. Yeah, that's what I was going to talk to you about. Is that's Showtime pal is traditionally a female. So, what was it like to be the first ever male Showtime pal, and how did that happen? Yeah, well, it was fun, and it happened because I asked Mary if I could do it because <laughs> um, because I didn't. I wasn't trying to be a gender buster or anything. I just couldn't see why a man couldn't do it, and, right. and no man ever had. So, um, so it was my, it was my, uh, I guess my, the summer after my junior year of high school and I was on the show wagon crew and, um, I asked her and she thought about it and she said, okay, you can try it. And then she came and watched me the first time to make sure that I could do it again. <laughs> so, um, I guess that was the summer 75. Okay. So when you graduated DJT, what path did your life take and how do you think DJT impacted that path? Oh, uh, there's no doubt that I'm where I am today because of my involvement in junior theater. Um, I mean, it, it's impacted my whole life because it was, it was the dominant, uh, dominant aspect of my, of my growing up. And, and, um, and I, it's just, it's, it's, I am where I am because of junior theater. There's no Mm -hmm. doubt about it. Um, when I graduated from high school, I went to Augsburg college, which is a little, Lutheran College in Minneapolis, much like Augustana. Is mm-hmm. that where you are, is Augustana? Yeah, I went to Augustana, but I've actually heard of Augsburg. One of my roommates toured there, she said, before yeah. Augustana, so. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I went to Augsburg, and um, I had done props for junior theater, as well as being the crew chief, and I enjoyed being backstage, and I enjoyed being on stage. So I went to Augsburg without really knowing what I would do um, and what I would study. I knew I'd study theater, but I didn't know if I'd study acting or if I'd study technical theater. And uh, I met a professor early on, maybe the first day I was on campus, who was the uh, scenic design professor. And he, he told me that I should really give scenic design a try. So I did and I liked it. And, um, 
so I became a set designer. I went, I got my BA from Augsburg um, in 1980, and then I went straight to graduate school and got an MFA in design from um, Tulane in New Orleans. And then my first job was as a set designer in um, at a community theater in West Texas, a large community theater in West Texas. And I was there two years and then um, went to Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I was also the resident designer for a large community theater. And I was there five years at that theater. And then I stayed in Chattanooga another five years, but I went out on my own and um, did a lot of designing uh, for country music performers. And there was a television network at the time called uh, the National Network, TNN. And um, uh, I did a lot of sets for them. Actually, just the other night I was watching TV uh, and on RFD TV, the Statler Brothers show um, was on, still in syndication. And that was one of my sets. So, um, so I did a lot of country music work, a lot of theater and dance and ballet. I've always been involved. Uh, I never limited myself to theater as a designer because my college professor um, was not limited. He did, he did dance and he did opera and he did theater. And so, um, so then I did that for another five years. I lived in Chattanooga and then um, I wanted to do something different. And I thought I could build a theater because by this time I had toured most of the country. I'd been all over the place and seen a lot of theaters. And I thought I knew enough to build a theater and um, Michigan Opera Theater in Detroit was looking for someone to be their project manager to build the Detroit Opera House. And so I went and took that job and uh, that was a two year construction project. And then when it was getting ready to open, they asked me if I would um, want to manage it when it opened. And that's really when I segued out of set design and into uh, the role I have now. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was the I was the manager of the opera house for three years, and then they asked me to be the managing director of the whole opera company. So I did that for another five years, and then I um, was recruited to Chicago to be the executive director of the Auditorium Theater, and I was there for uh, almost twelve years, and then I've been in uh, Memphis five years now. Great. So that's my life story. There you go. <laughs> I know you spent um, 15 years as a scenic designer and technical director, and I, I do scenic painting and I'm a technical director of a high school and you have just worked for so many like amazing dream job theaters. So what has it been like to travel all over the country and how did you get your foot in the door of so many awesome places? Well, I've been very lucky. I've been very lucky. Um, one of the reasons, I, I didn't put a lot of thought in where I went, went to college, to be honest with you, because I, um, I don't know. I just didn't. And um, I actually ended up at Augsburg because um, I'd gone to a community workshop thing in Minneapolis when I was in high school and, and it was housed at Augsburg. So it was the only school I knew of other than the University of Iowa. And all my friends were going to Iowa. So I decided I'm not going to Iowa. So I went to Augsburg. Um, and, what, and, and what I was going to say is I was lucky because um, there's some great theater in that town. And the Guthrie's there. Um, Minnesota Opera Company's terrific. Um, you know, it's just it's a, there's a lot of opportunity, and um, uh, you know, I had this professor that was tuned into all that. He actually was he was the property master at the Guthrie, so he helped he helped open doors. And then I got to do summer stock, um, mm -hmm. and I went out to the Utah Shakespeare Festival and out to Idaho and. Then it just kind of flowed from there. And when I got out of graduate school, um, I had a few offers to be a tech director. 
I was actually working at a tech as a tech director at a dinner theater in New Orleans uh, at the time. And um, but I wanted to be a designer, and I got the opportunity to do that in Midland, Texas. So uh, so I did it, and I don't regret that either because then I got to design for the next 15 years, or 10, 12 years, or however long it was. So um, so yeah, I've been very lucky. I've been very fortunate. Um, the foot in the door thing is about who you know, and it's right. about it's about having the support of other people that have already got their feet in the door. Mm -hmm. so. so in that time, I'm sure you've met, I know Orpheum alone does uh, Best of Broadway and all, all these other theaters. I'm sure you've met some really cool people. Do you have like any standouts or good stories of oh. anyone you've met? <laughs> I tell you, for a kid from Davenport, Iowa, um, I've been pretty lucky. I've met presidents. Uh, I've, I've met President-elect Biden and Clinton, both Clintons, and uh, George W. Bush, lots of people. I've met princesses. I've met Princess Anne from uh, Monaco and uh, Fergie, the former Duchess of York. Um, tons of actors and actresses, um, rock musicians. You know, it's interesting. I've got, I've got a lot of photos. People tease me because they, they call me Zelig. Or is that how you say it? Because um, I've got all these photos with people. The truth is you meet these people and they forget you two seconds later. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like, I have some friends. I have made some friends um, with some pretty big stars that I still talk with all the time. But by and large, I've just met a lot of people and they're in my life for an hour and they're gone. Um, but, but the ones that are true friends, the ones that are really still friends are pretty special. Cool. So you were the CEO and president of the Orpheum. What is a typical day like uh, at the Orpheum Theater and how has COVID affected that? Well, COVID's messed everything up. COVID's been horrible. Um, so, so we have uh, a number of different programmatic pieces of the puzzle here at the Orpheum Theater Group. We have two theaters, uh, a big one and a small one, and a historic one and a new one. Um, so I program all the Broadway shows. Um, I do all the negotiations with the uh, producers and the agents and, and decide what our season will be. I'm, I'm the artistic director of the Broadway series. And then I've got um, a young woman who programs the um, family series and the children's shows, which we do. I've got another gentleman who does the uh, programs, our small theater and does concerts and such like that. And then I've got um, another young lady that does our dance programming. Um, and then I got a, even another person that does some movies for us when we show movies. So programmatically, my day is mostly spent on Broadway. I talk with New York a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I'm in New York a lot. I'm in New York at least once a month when, in non-COVID times. Um, and then beyond that, I'm uh, trying to keep everybody here that works for the Orpheum, you know, swimming in the same direction. So. I spent a lot of time with a lot of time with the uh, vice presidents that report directly to me. Um, I spend a good amount of time on fundraising. Um, we raise about two million dollars a year for our education program, so that takes a lot of time. Um, but a typical day is filled with meetings and um, phone calls and emails and getting out in the community um, and. COVID has messed it all up completely. So we're still busy, we're still active, we're doing a lot, 
but it's um, but it's a different ball game right now. Show business is not as much fun as in show business is not as much fun during COVID as it is most of the time. Yeah, I've been there. So in 2018, you your producing team won a Tony for the band's visit. What yes. was it like to win, basically the highest honor in all of theater? It was fun, you know. Again, for somebody from Davenport, Iowa, because I still think of myself as a little monkey boy from Davenport. Um, <laughs> it, it was pretty fun stuff to go to the Tonys. Um, so I, we're part of the Independent Presenters Network, mm-hmm. and uh, or IPN for short. And IPN invests and helps produce Broadway shows. Um, probably about fifty percent of the shows on Broadway, um, and we were part of the producing team for the band's visit, which won 11 Tonys uh, in 20, I think 11, maybe 12 in 2018. But it won the big one. The big one for us is the best musical award. Um, So it was fun. It was fun. I got pictures at the, uh, uh, at the Tony Awards um, and got to go to the the big parties for the band's visit, you know, which was the hottest ticket in town that night. It's it's heady stuff. Right now, uh, my next my next foray into helping produce on Broadway was the Sheriff's Show, which, uh, of course, we all know how that ended up. Um, and right now, uh, we're represented on Broadway with uh, Girl from the North Country, mm. which which would have been a strong contender this year had um, had the Tonys played out the way they should have. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it's fun. It's 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 fun stuff when a producing team wins who actually gets to keep the tony or does everyone get their own little one or how does that work no that's a great question actually that's a great question so um the lead producer every show has a lead producer mm-hmm. or a, a lead producing you know partnership or something um they're, they're the ones that get to you know talk at the microphone and thank their parents and you know everything like that um and then there's uh and then there's co-producers under the lead producer. We're co- IPN as a co-producer. And as a co-producer, we get two Tony statues. Um, and we usually put, give them, within our team, then we have a lead producer for our team and they get one. And then the other one usually goes to whichever person or theater uh, invested the most money in the project. So, um, so we've got a Tony statuette uh, we've won four Tonys here at the Orpheum, and uh, and we've got a statuette in our lobby from Memphis, um, but I didn't actually take home a statuette from mm-hmm. the band's visit. I always tell people, you know, the little bolt that goes up the middle of a trophy that holds all together, that's probably mm-hmm. about my piece of it, so, or <laughs> our piece of it. I know you're on the Tony voting committee. Do you have to win a Tony to be on that, or how do you get onto the Tony voting committee? Yeah, no, um, there are 800 Tony voters around the country. About 400 of them are in New York and are in the industry. And about the, and the other 400 are spread around the country. And um, there's certain criteria you have to meet. And um, it takes, it usually takes a while. Um, I got to become a Tony voter late, later than most. Most people usually get where they need to be in their late 40s, early 50s. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's a it's a bunch of criteria that you have to meet to become a full you become a full member of uh, the Broadway League, which mm-hmm. is the trade association. The Broadway League and the uh, American Theater Wing present the Tony. So to become a full member, you got to meet this criteria, and then when you're a full member, you become a Tony voter. So 
Uh, I was an associate member of the Broadway League for 10 years uh, before I met all the criteria to become a voter. Okay. So. Interesting. Yeah, I, I always wonder how that all works and who got to do what. So that's interesting to hear. Yeah, well, then there's a nominating committee, which is, uh, which is all New York people, uh, usually 30 people. And, um, and they're the nominating committee. So the hard part about being a Tony voter and not living in the city is you have to see everything because right. you don't know what's going to be nominated until um, the spring. Mm -hmm. So shows that open and close in the fall and the early part of the season, you have to see them all because you don't know what's going to be nominated. So uh, I know that sounds like, you know, crying in my you know, crying in my coffee because everybody would love to be able to see all every show on Broadway for free, which I get to do. That's uh, a lot of time. <laughs> but it's a lot of time, and it's a lot of you got to go to New York a lot, right? And it can interfere with a lot of stuff to get it done. But uh, but you do it. There's 400 of us. There's 400 voters not in New York, so we're there's a lot of people doing it. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit before about all the people you've met, but if you could meet someone you haven't met, anyone throughout history and have lunch with them, who do you think it would be and why? Teddy Roosevelt. Um, I just admire uh, uh, a lot about him. He was, mm -hmm. he was uh, an outdoorsman, he was a cattle rancher, he was a president, he was a police commissioner in New York City. Fascinating career. He was the first uh, president to invite uh, African-American to the White House for dinner. That was Booker T. Washington. Um, I just I just think highly of Teddy Roosevelt. Plus, it'd be fun to eat, you know, some big old manly meal with this guy. Yeah. So, Teddy Roosevelt. Great. We also talked about, I mean, you have an array of talents. You've designed, you build, you do everything. But do you have any hidden talents that people don't really know about? Hidden talents? I have hidden hobbies. I collect okay. rocks. Um, oh, okay. But, but um uh you know what i found interestingly enough and it's it's funny that you say i have all these talents because i don't actually know how talented i am at anything you know i acted i acted through high school um and i was probably no better than anybody else at junior theater um i became a set designer because my professor talked me into it and I was honestly, I was a perfectly adequate set designer. I wasn't gonna, you know, I wasn't gonna win a Tony Award as a set designer. Um, I think, I think what I've learned in time is that my my work in junior theater started a very well-rounded knowledge of the performing arts, and so I think my hidden talent is really not as an artist, even though I still have an artist sensibility because of how I got into it mm -hmm. and I still think like an artist but but my my talent really isn't about isn't, isn't about making art that way it's more about um, uh, helping others achieve their potential and helping others uh, with more talent than me um, do all they can do so so I guess my hidden talent is 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 a facilitator manager whatever I don't know but but um but I, that's the you know i i'm lucky that i get along with people that i, I make friends easily i've got you know i've got the, a good set of iowa values and uh and uh french friendliness and that served me well mm -hmm. so um so yeah i'm better at this job than i ever was as a set designer okay and um 
and I also make a lot more money than I ever would have as a set designer. <laughs> right. Set designer, set designers, everybody in the theater. This is this is an interesting fact. Everybody in the theater except the producers are hired guns. So you're going to get paid a fee to do a job, unless you're a, you know a mega star. You're going to get paid a fee to, to to do a job. The producers, the administrators, we get we get money. Um, for that the show, if the show makes money, we make money. Mm -hmm. The the artists may get a royalty, but it's not that big a one. So anyway, that's my little piece of advice for any young people listening. Don't be stuck by wanting to be a star. You can be in the theater, you can make a good living, and not be a star. <laughs> that's good advice to hear. Yeah. And you've been a part of so many shows. So do you have any funny stories that have happened backstage or on stage, mistakes that have happened? And that can be junior theater or any of the other shows you've worked on. Well, you know, I still tell this story. That this is one of my favorite stories, and it's a junior theater. Well, I got a lot of junior theater stories because, you know, a lot of things happen. But there was a young uh, woman that was a student. She was, I guess, my age because um, we'd been in shows together for a long time. And she tried really, really hard at junior theater. She tried really hard, but she just always somehow made a mistake. I mean, she'd be in the wrong place at the wrong time or say the wrong thing. There, I remember once there was a show where we were all facing upstage, except one person was facing downstage, and uh, and everybody else was facing upstage, and we were supposed to. The person downstage was like supposed to be in a canyon or something, and there was supposed to be an echo. So they said, lower the drawbridge. And then we were all supposed to progressively lighter say, lower the drawbridge up like an echo, right? And we we're facing upstage so against this. And it worked perfectly until you got to this girl. And then she just, in a big, booming voice, came out with lower the drawbridge. She was that kind of actress. Anyway, we had a smoke pot on stage once. And we were wearing full length. I mean, it was like an Elizabethan period or something. And mm -hmm. she was wearing a full length gown and she was a larger person. And um, she was standing over the smoke pot. Oh no. When it went off. Oh no. Well, yeah, which is, which is dangerous. But what was funny about it is that smoke came billowing out of her neckline just just it's it's like all of a sudden like this cloud of smoke because you couldn't see the smoke pot go off under her dress mm -hmm. just all of a sudden all this smoke came pouring out of the neckline of the dress and going straight up in the air and we just all lost it was that during a performance that was during a performance oh yeah 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 that was during a performance and and um we had this guy named orville kepi uh orville kepi is probably lost in junior theater history but uh, he was very important to the success of Junior Theater because he was he was a uh, handyman for the park board. And when Mary started Junior Theater, of course, the park board didn't give her any help. They just said, yeah, you can start this program. And so she talked Orville into learning how to build scenery. And Orville was a, he was this crusty old guy that, um, that, uh, had no training, probably in anything. He probably graduated from high school, or, or if he even did that back then. And um, but he learned how to build scenery, and uh, and he used to make these handmade smoke pots. And he was he was really careful to make sure that there were no kids around him when he set them off. But this one time, he couldn't see the smoke pot, and so he didn't see this girl standing on it. 
And of course she was okay. I wouldn't laugh at it if she wasn't okay, but it was, it was very funny. And, um, we also did a show back at junior theater called trail of the lonesome pine and Orville made all these flat trees and they're probably still around at any Whitmire. God knows they were just flat trees with painted. I mean, they were, they looked like lollipops and they stood on braces with sandbags and we were doing a show and, uh, in some park, Lindsay Park, I think. And uh, uh, Dave Shanklin, who's still a friend of mine, was supposed to say, we don't want them Yankees around here. They keep stealing all our women. And right before that line came up, a gust of wind came up and blew one of these lollipop trees over. Oh, no. and Dave Shanklin came out with, we don't want them Yankees around here. They keep knocking over all our trees. <laughs> mm. That's good. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot of junior theater stories, a lot of, you know, the higher you get, though, the, the, the I mean, the more professional you get, the more the stories aren't quite the same because right. you, people get fired if they do something like that. Right. So. Do you have a favorite junior theater memory? Oh, boy. I have a ton of memories from junior theater. I think, I think you know, my favorite thing about junior theater besides what I learned and how it launched me and the influence that Mary Nicewander and the other adults had on my life um, are the people at the friendships I made, mm -hmm. many of whom, thanks to Facebook, I'm fr still friends with. Um, and I could name names of, of people that, um, but I'd forget somebody and then I'd get in trouble for forgetting somebody. So I won't name any names, but yeah, I think, I think what I like most about that the junior theater years were the um, were the friendships, and it was a different time. I mean, you you all that are younger, I think people have to be more careful now. But when we were in high school, we'd get. I went to Central, and uh, junior theater was at the Lindahan Club down on the river, straight down Main Street to right to the river. And we, I, you know, I'd walk from Central to the Lindahan Club after school. I'd work two hours at junior theater, and then I'd walk back up Main Street, stopping at a sandwich shop, a, little, a hungry hobo that I think is still there, or still the chain still exists, um, and get a sandwich and walk back up in the dark to high school for um, for rehearsal, because we were all in the high school shows too. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just stuff you couldn't do now because you wouldn't want your kids wandering around in the dark, you know. Right. Um, so we were lucky that way. but. Yeah, a lot of good friends, um, some of whom are still Facebook friends, some, some I've lost contact with, and, and, a, and unfortunately, you know, a small few that have passed on. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it, was, it was about the people. It was about the fun. We had a lot of fun. I mean, I turned 16 years old. I got my driver's license, and then I was given the keys two weeks later to this pickup truck with a 45 foot trailer on the back to go drive the show wagon around, right? It was craziness. And we're all 16, 15, 17 years old. And like sometimes we knew the parks where the grounding wasn't good. So the show wagon would, would shock you, electrocute you if you touched it. I mean, it was just crazy. Like that shouldn't have been allowed. And, and the winch that let the front of the stage down would get stuck and 15 year old kids are sticking their hands. I mean, the old show rules that we didn't know about and therefore broke are unbelievable. The fact that we all still have our fingers, <laughs> I don't know how it happened, but we did and we had a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I, when I when I drove the show wagon, that was I, I had a lot of firsts at junior theater. I was the first high school driver of the show wagon to not put a dent in it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was lucky, um, but I didn't. I never put a dent in the show wagon. I did once when the show wagon wasn't hooked up to it. Uh, we used to get gas at the park board office, which was on Brady or on um, uh, Central Park between mm -hmm. Brady and Harrison. And uh, I did fill up the truck with gas and didn't know there was a motorcycle behind me and backed into that. But mm -hmm. I never put a dent on the show wagon. So one last question I have for you is one that we like to ask all our alumni. What advice would you give a DJT kid today? Well, I, I think it's the same advice I give whenever I get asked to talk at colleges or, or anywhere. Um, first off, enjoy, enjoy the experience of being in junior theater. Just enjoy it. Uh, second off, if you're uh, not interested in pursuing in a theater, a, a career in the theater, um, the lessons you're learning at junior theater are still going to be invaluable to you, right? You're going to be a better lawyer or a better um, salesperson or whatever it is because you're learning to communicate and you're learning to express yourself and you're gaining self-confidence. So that's number one. And number two, if you do decide to go into the performing arts as a career. Um, you gotta work really hard. You have to be work, you have to be really dedicated and be flexible in your career plans. Mm -hmm. um, very few people, you know, become a star. And if that's your goal, you, you're setting yourself up and probably setting yourself up for failure. But if you're willing to segue into what I do or into marketing the performing arts, or into fundraising for the performing arts, or into stage management. Um, a lot of those, a lot of the backstage jobs, the supply and demand for talent is is much a much better ratio for stage managers than for mm -hmm. performers. Um, so, so my advice, if you're going into the performing arts, is to be flexible and to um, be open to where your uh, life may lead you. Um, and to do the best work and, and work hard. It takes a lot of work. I mean, I, you know, I'm not gonna tell you that, that it's not a lot of hours. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing I'd say, and I learned this from junior theater, and then I learned it further on in my career when I worked in, the commun in community theater. Um, we do theater for our audience. It's a live art form. It's for the people that are there. So that means if you're doing theater in Midland, Texas, um, you still got to do the best work you can do because it's, it's, that's the best work those people are going to see. Most of those people are never going to see a Broadway show. So if you want to, um, you know, don't don't ever take the uh, take the make the excuse. Well, you know, I'm only doing it for these people, and that's not. I mean, you know what? Those kids seeing those shows at junior theater, you're introducing them to the art. You're introducing them, and and they're going to be the future audience and the future donors, and um, and they want to see good work. So uh, so that's the other thing I would say is is your audience is who's in the room that night. Not don't don't have bigger expectations that. You know, it doesn't matter until you get to New York or get on, you know, into a movie or something. You got to do the best work you do at every every time you do a show. Well, that's good advice. <laughs>
There you go. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to do this podcast interview. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to meet you. It's great to meet you too. This has been the Davenport Junior Theater Podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>